Hello. Welcome back to The Mentors. This is one of your hosts, Sergey Rebzin. Vadim is not physically with me today, but he is featured on the episode that we're excited to share with you finally here today. Now, I know that if you are a longtime listener of The Mentors, you might be wondering, where have you been, guys? Well, if you listened to our last episode, of course, you heard of the venture that we've been building, School 16. We've been completely busy with School 16. We just finished our third cohort of our technology career acceleration program. And now we're focusing a little bit more time on hosting live events, which sometimes are live podcast recordings like you're going to hear today. We are very passionate in helping people become entrepreneurs through this podcast, The Mentors. And for many people, the way they become entrepreneurs is they first get into tech, get into startup jobs. And that is the mission behind everything that we do on School 16. In fact, really, The Mentors podcast is now a part of the work and the mission at School 16, which is helping people get into tech careers and hopefully eventually become entrepreneurs. The episode that we're going to be sharing with you today is with Kevin Uritia. He is the founder of Voy Media, among many other companies, and we're very excited about the story that he's going to share today in this episode, which we actually recorded as part of a live event at School 16. We host live events at least once a month where people can come and learn about people's career trajectories. Kevin is actually a really interesting story. He started off as an engineer. He knew he was a business builder. He liked to tinker, but he really thought that he needed to go work for some startups, which is what a lot of people do to get that experience. Now, he realized quite early on that the tech side is important, but learning the business side was actually even more important. As you'll hear through this interview, he tried a bunch of different ideas and he didn't really succeed in entrepreneurship until he learned the business side which is actually what we're all about here at School 16. And I do want to mention before we start the episode that we have an application deadline coming up on Friday for anyone that's interested in leveling up their tech skill set and really either getting a new job in tech or jumping into a completely new career in tech. We do focus on preparing people for non-technical roles such as marketing, operations, sales, and product management where you don't need to know how to code, but you do need to learn from the experts about what it takes to get those jobs. And that is what our program is all about. We actually have had some longtime podcast listeners participate in our two-month part-time program and completely change the trajectory of their career, get opportunities in tech, and start new jobs. And we want to help you do the same if that's something that you're interested in. So please apply. We have scholarships available for most applicants that need them. And we'd love to interview you, especially if you are a longtime listener of the show. That deadline is on Friday the 20th. So please submit your application at school16.co slash program. That is school16.co slash program. And now, enough from me. I'm excited to share this episode of The Mentors Podcast as a live recording of a School 16 event with Kevin Urutia from Voy Media. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Hello and welcome back to The Mentors. Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And you're listening to a show where we interview founders and creators that started off potentially with nothing, but then were able to turn their skills and build their network to take their businesses off the ground. And today we're excited to bring you this podcast episode as part of a live podcast recording in front of an audience here over Zoom as part of School 16, one of our weekly seminars that we host every week at 6 p.m. We're excited to bring to you our conversation with Kevin Urtia, founder of Voy Media, among many other startups and ventures. Kevin is a serial entrepreneur in every definition of the word. He's been starting companies for a long time. And part of the reason why we're excited to bring you this episode in this conversation is because Kevin has really taken his career into his own hands. He started off as an engineer, took all the skills he learned to launch his own businesses, and then transitioned that to an expertise in marketing. So we want to hear the exact story from the early days of how you got started, Kevin, to where you are today, running Void Media, among those many other companies. So I want to take it back to the early days when you decided to study computer science in college. And I want to hear a little bit about how you decided to study it and what you thought you were going to do with it, because I think you started putting into practice your learnings right away while in school, which many people don't. So tell us about how that started off for you in school. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. So how I started, I guess, computer science or programming in general was that Growing up, I was really big into gaming. So there was this game I used to play called Secrets of War. It was a text-based game where you can just collect gold, essentially. You could go on this map and then just do stuff. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is a pretty cool game. And I contacted the developer and I was like, how did you make this thing? And then he was like, oh, I did like um, .NET was the thing back then, the Microsoft one. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I've never heard of this thing, programming. So then I picked up like a HTML for dummies book. I thought that was programming back then. Eventually I was like, this is not programming because HTML, there's no logic. So that's technically not programming. It's just structure code. So that's kind of how I was like into programming. And then I picked up a C, C++ book. And I was just like, whoa, this is so complicated. And by this time, my parents, they came from like El Salvador. They're like, no, you're not playing games all day long for your life. And I was like, no, programming isn't just games. Like you can make games because like they, that's all they saw me doing. But I was like seeing it, like you can just make stuff. And that's sort of what got me excited. So that's essentially kind of how I thought about programming because I didn't even know what else to do. I was like, oh, I love this game thing. I love this programming that I'm learning HTML. I kind of want to do it. And that was exciting. So then I went to college, Binghamton for computer science for that because I thought that was what the staff was like Googling. I was like, oh, like, what do you do with like programming? What degree do you need to get for that? That was programming. But at that time, I really wanted to do programming because at that time I was reading a lot of TechCrunch, TechMeme, all like the startup blogs, like Dig. I was looking at Dig. I was like, whoa, this thing is crazy. Like, how is this Dig company making so much money? This is like uh, like a bookmarking company. That's sort of what got me curious. It's like programming was more like just seeing the products. Oh, I don't think it's that hard to make. Like, how come these people are doing it? What are they doing exactly to make this thing? And that really what led me into like just learning about programming and keep reading about startups and tech. And I was like, where are people getting all this funding from? What is that? And that sort of really manifested into like learning web dev, web programming, because I was when I was at college at that time, we we're doing a lot of Java, C++. And I was like, this isn't what the cool people are doing. Like no one's talking about Java or C. Like this is boring. I was telling you before, I was like, I got to learn what they're doing. And I was like, at that time, Twitter came up. I was using it as a group text messaging app because it was going to your phone and then all my friends, all our friends, we only had Twitter. We only followed each other. And then you could send each other the messages. 
we're just like texting each other essentially through Twitter because there's no group texting app like GroupMe back then. So we're just like, oh, this is cool. And I was like looking at how you do this. And I was like, oh, what's this Ruby thing? Oh, like Ruby on Rails. I was like, oh, DHH, like David Hannah my high school. I was like, oh, I think I'll learn this thing. I was like, this is so cool. This is so easy to make. And that was like what kind of really got me into programming because then I was like, whoa, like it's actually not that hard compared to like the programming that we're doing in school, like making all those like GUI apps. I was like, this is so complicated. I don't want to be doing GUIs in Java. This is like crazy, like swing. I was like, I hate swing. I was like, I don't want to be doing that anymore. That's kind of like what led me to just learn programming as in like web dev, because in college at Binghamton at the time, no one was teaching web dev. And I was just Googling like the back then, like NetTuts was really big. Net tutorials, I think it was called. And just like, they had like tutorials on how to make stuff. And that goes doing Twitter apps. I was doing like phone apps, phone books, very simple like stuff and i was like oh this is really cool and then you realize ruby's a thing and then you're like okay i actually gotta learn html okay i gotta learn css i gotta learn javascript and i was like oh my god there's so much to learn and i was just like okay this is so cool because it's fueling this thing of oh now i can make my own thing and that then led me in college to also do graphic design because i was like oh i realized i gotta learn design so then i was like doing graphic design in college and I actually became like a ta for like graphic designers and i was like oh okay this is cool because i need design to program myself because then it's not it looks really bad so that's sort of like led me into this sort of path of doing stuff. But at the same time, I was still reading like TechCrunch, all that stuff. And I was like, oh God, I got to go to Silicon Valley because like everybody's raising money there. This is like where everybody is. And I was telling you before, like um, that ultimately led me to do an internship in New York City for this company called ERA, which is like an incubator in New York back then. It's still an incubator right now, but that sort of led me to like the startup thing. And there I was like really more cemented what I wanted to do because at that time I was like an intern for programming. I was running this company called Buzztable, but then we had like VCs come in and like talk to us about stuff. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. Like I saw Fred Wilson. I was like following his blog for a long time. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like Fred Wilson, like I follow this guy for so long. I've never met him. And it's like so cool that like, I'm like 20 here meeting him. And I was like, that's so exciting. So that led me to like doing all this stuff, going to all these startup events. I don't know. It just like led me to doing startup weekends, startup hackathons. I mean, I don't know if people do it anymore, but like back then it was like 40 out of a coding binge. You're just like sleeping at the place. I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like meeting with other people programming. I did it in Binghamton. I did it in uh, New York City. I also, when I moved to California, I also did it in California as well, because I was like, this is the thing we're doing. Well, you know, it's actually a thread that I'm already noticing through this quick spiel about your college experience is that you just followed your own personal curiosity. And then you, you yeah. dropped a couple of uh, different words there. But yeah, Java and C++ is like the foundational object-oriented programming yeah. that they teach you in school because it's so fundamental to everything else. But if you're doing web development, yeah, Ruby on Rails, learning JavaScript, HTML, CSS, those are the fundamental web development type of frameworks. But I'm curious, you know, you were learning all these things. You were diving into yeah. web development. You were diving into a little bit of graphic design so you could actually create websites that look decent. And then you started a web development shop to make some money while still in college. You have a yeah. really cool story about how you got customers oh, yeah. for that first business that you had. How did you get customers? So our company is called, at that time, like me and Wilson, uh, we're like, oh, let's name it one tiny bit. So it's like one tiny bit.com or like a bit for like programming. We're just like, oh, this is clever. So that's what we named it. And then we had a website up. And we're like, okay, we need to find clients. And of course we like ask people, but I was like, oh, Craigslist, there's always people on Craigslist looking for things. So at that time, Craigslist was not as strict as it is now where like they're detecting scrapers or programming bots. So what we did was I just created a scraper that went to like the web design or web dev section. And then every time I saw a new listing, I would send them an email through Gmail. By that time, the Gmail API was very easy. Like right now, it's so strict with security. Back then, all you need to do was just get your email username and your email password through a Ruby program. And then you can send out emails as if it was personal emails. So yeah, it's funny because I looked back at my own email 
And I was like, oh yeah, I still have these emails. I was like, this is so crazy. Like I didn't, I still use my Kevin email that still worked back then. And I sent these emails out all programmatically. And at that time, I didn't really know about like scheduling emails or scheduling jobs in my terminal. I'd just be like, oh, let me run the job real quick and like check if there's any new emails that have been like fetched. And I would just like store the ID in case it was an old one. That way I didn't send it again. And that's how I did it. And like, I just got a ton of replies that way. And like, not a lot, but like it was enough for I'm like, oh, people are actually responding. And then that led me to learn about I mean, back then I didn't know what all this was. And I realized it was like cold outreach essentially, or like cold sales or just like, just for me, it was like, this is how you just get business. There was like strategy or like right now read the books. I was like, oh, that's what that strategy is called. It's just for me, it was just like, I got to find clients somehow. That taught me to like meet with people. I remember like in college, um, someone to meet with us. And I was like, oh yeah, like we're actually at Binghamton. Can you come to like our university? Because like, I don't like, I don't, you're not coming to my apartment. This is like really weird. Like <laughs> you're like a much older person, but that's kind of how we were doing it. And then Eventually, we made like iPhone apps, we made web apps, and we made like some real estate apps. So we we're doing that. And then it's so funny because we also hired somebody to work for us while we were in college. And he was also in high school. His name was Justin. And he actually works at Facebook now. We're still good friends. But at that time, we're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this stuff. And I was like 19 or 20. I was like, not even thinking about it. I was just like, oh, I just need help. And like, I was like, oh, I know this kid's really smart. Let me figure out how much we can pay him. And then let me double that. And I was like, oh, this is a great deal for me because I don't do the work. I'm just like a PM. And I realized that that's harder because like I'm communicating between like two people. And I'm just like, Justin, just say you work for us and just like say like you're not a contractor. So that way it's easier to communicate with the client. So there's like a bunch of like stuff that we just did. There was no rhyme or reason. We're just like, oh, this is just the next logical step. Well, you know, I think this is the perfect example of ask for forgiveness. And yeah. clearly you're the type of person that just likes to experiment, see if it works out. If it doesn't, probably try something else. But I'm curious, you know, at this point, you just like to tinker. You did your own thing. And it makes sense that you would do these experimental things. You started this web dev shop. You figured out how to get customers without necessarily knowing that there was probably like a sales funnel that you were working through that there might be a pitch that's involved in closing the deal. You were just kind of trying things out and doing it in a very scrappy, hacky way. But I know that eventually when you moved to California, you joined Mint.com and eventually it was acquired by Intuit. So there was at some point in your career where you had to get into these highly structured environments where you probably weren't allowed to just kind of do your own thing all the time. So how did that feel when you had to be a software developer, web developer in a more strict environment? Yeah, this is a a great question because people always ask me this. Uh, When I was at Mint, um, I went to Mint because my old boss, uh, Xi'an, he was a really good JavaScript developer. So when I went to work with him, I was like, oh, I'm going to learn so much because I was like learning JavaScript and Back then, jQuery first came out and I was like, whoa, jQuery is so easy. By that time, I was like doing raw JavaScript stuff. And then when jQuery came out, I was like, whoa, like animations, slideshows, all this stuff was so easy to make with jQuery. And then I was like, oh, I want to learn more jQuery. At that time, I got really big into like learning how that worked. And I was like, then my boss at, that was going to work at Mint, he was like a big JavaScript guy. And I was like, oh, I'm going to learn so much because at that time, Mint was moving into like a single SPA, single page application, right? For JavaScript no refreshing, no loading, all that nice stuff that you see now. Before it was like kind of like refreshing. And then I was like, oh, I'm gonna learn so much. Within like the first month that I got to Mint, I knew I didn't like it there because exactly kind of what you said. It's like way too structured for me. I was like, this is crazy. Like this is not like the startup stuff I thought it was gonna be. And honestly, like I told people, within the first like few weeks, I knew it wasn't for me. Mint was a great company, great place to work. This would be great if I was like 40, 50 plus because it's so structured. It was very nine to five. We would have like standups and like, 
I remember our boss telling us like, yeah, you're like you only you're only supposed to hour about three to four hours that you're supposed to work a day. And I was like, what? This is we work nine to five, like three hours a day. That's like the max that you think we can work. I was like, this is crazy. And then like I didn't realize why. We just had so many meetings of like stuff that we were talking about, projects, and I guess it makes sense uh, looking back. But I was just like. Whoa, this is crazy. At that time, I just graduated college. I just left to California. Like, I didn't know anybody. I literally never left New York until I went to California for the first time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to live here and didn't know anybody. But I knew, like, I didn't come to California for this. And everybody was like, you have to see, ask your friends, your family, like, oh, just stay there for two years. And, you know, that time on advice, like, and then you go somewhere else. And I was just like, nah, this is not how I work. I was like, I cannot stay here for two years. I'm just going to be like so depressed. And then within like six, eight months, I told my boss, I was like, hey, like, I'm leaving. And by the time my boss had hired me to also left to start his own company. So I was just like, Hey, like, I just like what I came for is not even here. And then like the true experience is not what I figured. And then that's when I left to work another startup in San Francisco. Um, cause that's where he's living. Uh, Mint was like in Mountain View like next to Google. So then I was like doing like kind of that reverse commute. And then my new job was like a 10 minute walk. And I was like, yeah, like this is so much better. <laughs> and then that was like the true startup experience where it's like, we're just like working all the time and like hustling, trying to figure this stuff out. But I mean, like for me, I always tell people like, I just like kind of do what I want. I was like, Hey, like I knew I'm like, wasn't going to like it within a month. I think anybody knows if you like something within a month or so, like any kind of relationships or just things in general, sometimes it would just prolong that. And then you get upset or angry. I'm just like, Hey, just make this decision now. Just like, I was so much happier. I was like, yeah, this is like the best decision I ever possibly made hmm. um, because that led me to more opportunities. Well, and you use the time before that and in between these jobs to really build out your skill set. You were doing hackathons in the weekend. So you had a skill set that was marketable. And I think you had options because of that, but you know, talk about what you did on the side, because you went and joined this smaller startup after Mint, but then you ended up starting, I mean, you were starting different projects on the side, but talk about how you ended up choosing which project to really dive deep into and turn into a business. How did you, how did you go about the yeah. process of finding that? Yeah, I think what you said is a good point. Uh, because at that time, I was like really reading all this stuff like, hey, if you fail, that's fine, you'll still find a job. So I was really into that like mantra of just make stuff because I still think that's, interesting enough that shows that you have some sort of drive. And that really showed me, that really made me think like, oh, let me just make, make stuff. Because right when I moved to California, when I left there and I moved there, I was like, whoa, like everybody's like me. Like we're all just building stuff on the weekends, trying to make something work. And it was just like the common thing that we all did. And versus when I was like in school in Binghamton, I would tell people like, oh, I'm building stuff. They're like, why? Let's go out. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of want to make stuff. So it was like very not like encouraging. But when I went to California, it was like, whoa, like I'm so behind, like everybody's doing things. Like I got to move faster. Sometimes I tell people like, go to where, you know, you're going to just become better versus like sometimes being at home. It's like, you don't really get the encouragement you need because like people don't know what's going on. So sometimes it's best to just move out and just be like, Hey, let me just do what I think will be best. But yeah, building on that, like when I went to Zarly, which is a startup, I was there for about a year and a half too. There really, it was really a good culture of my old boss there. His name is Ian Hunter. I'm still friends with him. We talked like almost every day. He was really into like, hacking on weekends and making stuff. So that really was a great culture to sort of see like, oh, this is great. Like he also still wants to hack on random projects. Like we would hack on like random Ruby gems, would hack on random stuff. Even my old other boss, we would just like go at night, we just like build stuff together. That wasn't really company related. So that really made me excited about the things that I want to be doing because I was like, oh, this led me to just like work on stuff. And when I was in California, I was building this thing called Madeline Rosa, which at the time, I guess at that time I just finished reading um what was that book by Eric Reese? Lean Startup? Lean Startup, yeah. I just started reading that. And then he's like, oh, you got to go talk to your customers. And then, or talk to like the people that you're thinking of business for. And I remember me and Wilson, because me and Wilson were building it. We went to talk to flower shops. We're like, hey, like, 
Do you think it'd be cool if like, if we give you orders and then we like deliver them on demand by this time, like Uber was kind of just for starting Lyft was for starting. And I was like, it's kind of like on-demand flower delivery. And that's sort of what we thought of when we were doing and we did it for a little bit. And then that's kind of like where we built the whole website. It's like, if you go to like the Wayback Machine, you can still see it. It's like flower on-demand delivery. And that's when I kind of started thinking about like SEO because I was like, oh, like flowers in Hype Valley, flowers in Soma. And I was like, oh, I got to make web pages for that. And then that's like what kind of made me to like think about like SEO and marketing in a sense, because when I was at Zarly, I was kind of doing a lot of marketing for their team, just like the technical side of it. That also kind of opened up my eyes to be like, there's these marketers are doing marketing, but they don't really know how to like implement a lot of this marketing tech stuff. I was like, that's interesting to me. So that was like kind of my thinking, right? And so that's kind of like made me be like, hey, like what if I learn marketing and I know the tech side, I think maybe that'll make me more dangerous just because I know more. And that's the way I always think about things like, oh, like, why can I maybe do that? That's sort of like how I did things and thought about it. So I did that one. And then we did another like kind of like HelloFresh competitor that we made the website. But again, we were just so big into at that time, like building product, but not truly knowing how to get customers or how to get people to come to your website. We were just really great at just like thinking of these ideas and building them out versus like when we let Lean Startups, like who are your true customers? And that sort of came through time as we built more and we're trying to figure out who, who our buyers are. And at that time, led us to learn about SEO. We were diving into all of these forums. Like, what is SEO? How do you get free traffic? What is PPC, right? All this stuff that kind of led us to things. And, and then a um, big one was when we went to like Startup Weekend in San Francisco called, called Solomo, Social Local Mobile. By that time, this was like maybe five, six years ago, like mobile wasn't as big as now. And we built like a four square type of competitor where we like, get like local recommendations and we won the event, which is so cool because the first time I won after like competing so much. And at that time, our team was like 10 people. After we won, everyone's like, oh my God, I'm going to build a company. Like we're all going to build it together. And then within like a week, half the people were like dropped off because everybody got busy, you know? And then the rest of the team, uh, we got free tickets to go to San Diego, which is awesome because I've never been there. I remember we went to the Gaslight District. And I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And I was like, <laughs> I want to go to, I want to, I want to live to San Diego again because it was so awesome. Um, but we pitched Qualcomm Ventures and they were asking us all this stuff, like, how are you getting customers? What's your idea? I was like, uh, we didn't, like, we didn't know. And, yeah, so that sort of like led me to like, I think I had to learn marketing now. So. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, just going to pack a few things here. First of all, some terminology, SEO, search engine optimization, PPC, pay-per-click. Some of the stuff you talked about, one of the concepts, which is the technical side of marketing. One term for that is engineering as marketing. It's become an increasingly important function in tech in general. It's also why there's a lot of no code or low code solutions yeah. now like Webflow that let marketing teams build this stuff themselves because they don't want to use engineering and technical resources to get these things off the ground. But it's kind of funny because you know, you're talking about this stuff somewhat informally, like, oh yeah, we pitched this idea, we want yeah. to pitch, oh yeah, okay, we got in front of Qualcomm Ventures and pitched the startups and kind of figured out, oh, maybe we don't know exactly how to pitch effectively, or maybe, maybe we don't yeah. have the correct messaging for them in terms of what our customer acquisition strategy is. But still, you didn't fear that at all. It sounds like you just kind of went out and did it and um, iterated on your process after that. So I'm curious. It sounds like you were working on a lot of different ideas. And you had this flower concept that was kind of working, or at least people were excited about. But after that experience, you know, and, and generally, at what point did you decide to leave your full-time role at that startup and start your next venture? And what was that venture for you that actually started getting significant traction? You've had some traction with other companies at this point, your web dev shop, generally other stuff and projects you've been working on. But what was the first venture that actually put a dent in the wallet, if you will? Yeah. So after about a year and a half, two, 
I was kind of getting just like, kind of like, I was like, oh, I kind of want to go back home. I was like, I was obviously, all my family was in New York. I have a brother, two sisters, and my mom was all here. And I was like, I really want to go back. Like, I don't really see them as much. And I guess like that's just like home feeling. And I'm from New York, but I never lived in New York City. I really want that experience. I was like maybe 25 at that time, 26. So I told the company, I was like, hey, I'm leaving. And at the time, like a bunch of stuff, the company was like kind of like not doing as well as I thought it would. So a lot of people were kind of leaving as well. So it's kind of like, it's like anything. It's like the right time, the right sort of feelings. It's sort of everything just happens kind of at once. And then I left. But then really when I was working at Zarly, um, Zarly, you think about it, it's kind of like an Angie's List slash competitor where it's like for local services. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like I said before, I was working on a lot of their marketing stuff. But like any startup, we're kind of like switching roles and switching stuff. So I was also working on like the checkout flow, all this stuff for sort of like consumers, thinking about the marketing. I did a lot of SEO at Zarly towards my end of my time because at the time I was like really talking to Bo, who's the CEO there. I was like, oh, I think we need like marketing. I was like, I don't know if we have anybody that's dedicated. We did, but it was like a contractor type of person. And I was like, I really think that we need like a dedicated person. I was like, can you like, he's an awesome guy. He was like, hey, yeah, just try it. Like, I don't, he's like, you can, I think you'll figure it out, right? Which is sort of how I always tell people, hey, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll read stuff. So I was kind of doing that. But anyways, when I was working the checkout flow, we at the time, we got access to all the data to sort of see like payments coming in. And I was like, oh, wow, like these made people were like always getting jobs on our platform. And like something we saw through the customer messages was that like after a certain amount of time, they just couldn't take any more jobs because they were just like booked. Because like when you found a good maid, like anybody knows, it's people request them all the time. Like, hey, can you always come back every Monday at like 2 p.m.? And then that sort of like takes up the time of the person. And for me, I was like reading all this stuff. And I think I read The E-Myth, right? And I was like thinking about it. I was like, I read The E-Myth. That was a great book. I always tell people it's my favorite book. It was like the practitioners and then like the people that build companies are kind of like two different people. Where like you have a baker and then you have like the bakery. It's like a business versus the baker sometimes they get confused where they don't see it beyond the, just like the company. And then, so from it's like, oh, this is like the maids of that company. They don't see themselves as like owning the company because they just want to, their practice is doing the cleaning. So I was like thinking about that. And I was like, when I left, I was like, oh, I think like, I remember that company was making money. And I did like some, at that time I did some like keyword research as well on Google. And I was like, oh, wow, there's so much demand for um, cleaning in New York City. I see New York City is tons of apartments. And I was looking at through the competition in the space to like the Google SEO. And I was like, oh, they all require you to call and be like, book an appointment. And then someone goes in and inspects your home and then says, oh, based on your apartment size, we're going to charge you, you know, 125. I was like, oh, like, I think it'd be easier if people just book online and just sort of give them like a range of price that's okay. And that is sort of where we came in and then we made made sailors. So that was a company I made. And that's how we distinguish ourselves in the market because we were like, hey, we want to keep the overhead low because I don't want to be going to apartments and saying like, yeah, like this is going to be 125. And they're going to be like, oh, that's too much. I was like, I think you just wasted a day, right? I rested an MTA card. I was like, I don't want to do that. So I was like, let me just do that sort of, we call it flat rate pricing. It's still what we have right now on the website. It still works. And if you look at the maid space right now in, in New York City, everybody has like our pricing model and the way we structured things, which is kind of funny to look at, but that's how it was. And at the time it didn't make sense. There's a lot of like, pushback that we got because maids were like hey that studio was not a studio that's like was a massive place because obviously you know some rich people have like massive studios right so it's like (laughs) that's not a studio (laughs) but then again but then some places were like studio was really small so then i would tell the cleaners like but you didn't call me and tell me hey charge a customer less because that studio is smaller right and then (laughs) so then they're like oh yeah that makes sense right so it's like you learn like things right like that but that really helped us with that company mate sellers at that time 
local SEO wasn't as big as it is now. Everybody knows now when you go to Google Maps and you like type in like donuts, right? That was a new thing back then. You weren't doing that because Google Maps was more for like driving directions. There was no businesses on there. So I was like reading a lot about local SEO. And, like Moz was like the Bible back then. I was like reading that every single day. Like, oh, you got to do Google My Business. You got to do that. And, that's, and I got really good at doing that. That's when like, we started doing, implementing all the optimizations, all the tricks, all the schema tags. And then Mateservice is about to like top three on Google. Even now, if you look up like home cleaning NYC or Mateservice NYC, we're like top three. So we stuck on there for years. But that was through that time I was looking up marketing things. And I was like, oh, how do I implement these things? Because I was looking at like free traffic sites or tree traffic sources or, and SEO was like the one I kind of thought about. And at that time, handy.com was a big competitor and they were just like spending a ton of money on PPC. And I was like, oh, I can't compete with this. How do I compete with them in a different way? And for me, it was like SEO. So that's kind of how that started, Matesellers. So right now, Matesellers, we're in Boston, Chicago, New Jersey, and of course, Brooklyn. And we have like over 150 maids, they're all employees, I have like 10 operations people. And then we've acquired three other cleaning companies as well in New York City. Wow, that's awesome. I love how you started that business. You found a niche in a marketing strategy, local search engine optimization that was untapped. And that's how you competed with companies like Handy, which by the way, raised, I think 50 or $60 million. And they ended up burning through all the cash by paying for ridiculous customer acquisition campaigns to the point where they couldn't pay their employees and they had to shut down. Whereas you, uh, you didn't raise any capital for this, for this no. made company, did you? And no, can, no. You, can you talk about how much revenue you got to with that business? Yeah. So with mate sellers, we're doing over like $3 million a year. Mm-hmm. It's just so much money because at the same time, a lot of the cleaning, which is great. So one thing I learned from when I was working at Zarly, was this recurring thing. I was like, oh, wow, why do people keep coming back to this mate thing? At that time, I didn't know because I was like not really in doing mates. But then I learned as you sort of have a great cleaning, you just kind of want to like it every week. I'm like, oh, this is nice because you don't have to do anything. I was like, oh, do the laundry, do your dishes, you'll do everything. I was like, oh, this is nice. I mean, I just got a cleaning today and I was like, oh, this feels nice. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow. that's very cool. So you, you ran that business for, for a little while. I think it was less than two years until you moved on to the next thing. So talk about that. You have a business that's working. Um, and then you ended up deciding to, to go move on to something else. How did that decision happen? Yeah, still, I still own the company. Mm-hmm. Basically, what happened was my brother joined and he came. Uh, my brother was like an investment banker and he's like, oh, I want to do something. I was like, oh, just come join me. And, you know, kind of like help me run the stuff. And he was kind of always helping me behind the scenes, like finances, just thinking about things, contracts, um, LLCs, all this stuff like he was good at. I'm not, not good at a lot of things. And my brother helps me out with a lot of that stuff that I don't really deal with accounting all this stuff. He like finds the right people for us. Hmm. Um, so then I was like, oh, Edwin, do you like want to run it for me? And he's like, yeah, cool. I'll run it. And obviously like the best thing I did was give it to him. The company has grown so much bigger that he has run it. Obviously you probably can tell by me, like I'm like, think of random things. I was like, he completely added structure to everything. Mm-hmm. He's just like, Kevin, why are your employees going to the gym at like 12 o'clock? And then I was like, I don't know. I like, got a good perk for them. They're like, nah, like no one's going to the gym anymore at 12. I was like, everybody's working <laughs> nine to five. It was like very, like, if I look back at the stuff I've done, I was like, we laugh about it now. I'm just like, wow, it's so crazy that we did that. When you handed it off to your brother, how much revenue were you guys doing? Because you said you grew significantly after that. Oh, we were, we were still doing about $3 million, and he grew it much more than that. Right now, we're doing much more than that. And the thing with Edwin that he get, came on board was like the structure, but also we were thinking about more about expanding. So that's when we started acquiring other businesses. Because for me, I was like, he was telling me, he's like, Kevin, you're really good at SEO. Like, and we're getting all this traffic through, through Google. He's like, what if we acquire all the other companies that are on like top three? Like, what happens? Do we like just get all the clicks? Yeah. I was like, yeah, essentially we do, right? <laughs> Obviously, like the top three ones, but also like 
all the maid companies eventually like kind of knew each other. So we were going out to dinner, hanging out like, hey, what are you guys thinking about like acquisition? How are you guys doing? So like, I mean, like anybody in the space, you know each other. I think it's already naive to be like, oh, don't talk to your competitors. But like a lot of times, like we acquired our companies because it was a competitor. And then I called him one day and I was like, hey, like I'm thinking about going to Chicago. I'm just curious. Did you want to sell a company? He's like, oh, actually I do. And it's like, all right, let's talk numbers. And that's sort of like why it's so helpful to have industry contracts that are in the same space because it's not just talking about issues you're having, but like potentially sometimes you get bored or you don't want to do it anymore. And it's like, oh, hey, like you'll go to the person you know. Even now, his name is Donald. I was talking to him two weeks ago. He's like, hey, we should do like a mastermind of made companies because there's so many made companies. Like, he's like, Kevin, you have like one of the biggest companies in New York City. I'm pretty sure people want to talk to you. But I was like, oh, I don't know. He's like, just do it. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's try it. <laughs> So. I love it. You're, you're a yes man and you love saying yes to ideas. Okay. So you, you handed off the company to your brother who you could trust, of course, and he ended up growing it from there, which is awesome. And then you ended up starting an ad agency. So talk about how you got into this game because it's a competitive game. There's a ton of agencies out there. You guys specialize uh, in, in Facebook marketing and, and I'm sure SEO as well, since that's that your forte. Yeah. But what gave you the idea of jumping into this competitive market? Why did you, why did you think you were going to succeed in it? Yeah. So after the made sellers, uh, I wanted to do e-commerce because service-based businesses is great. A great business model just because you only pay people when you sort of have business. So there's like low upfront costs. But the next business that I did was an e-commerce company because FBA at the time was really big. And I was listening to like all these podcasts about FBA, like the amazing seller by Scott Volker at that time was like massive. And I was like, whoa, like these guys are making so much money on FBA. Like I need to be doing that. This is so scalable. Uh, you can make more money. You just go to Alibaba, AliExpress, get stuff from China. And then you do that. And at the time, my friend Wilson, he was doing this for the hammocks and he was telling me how much money he was making. I was like, whoa, Wilson, you got to help me do something. Like I was like, I was like, dude, we were like live together. We're roommates. I was like, we got to do this together. And then he's just like, and then he helped me find products to source. So he was doing outdoor and I was like, I'm going to do outdoor. And he's like, don't do outdoors. I was like, no, I'm going to do outdoors. He's like, I, and I was like, I was like, Wilson, think about it. I was like, you have an email list. I get an email list. Then we can cross sell. And he's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Just like my marketing stuff thinking about it. I was like, oh, like made sellers, we're emailing customers, discounts, coupons, and we're making so much money from that. Cause every time we're like, oh yeah, I got a book again. Um, I was like, oh, let's do that. So then he helped me do my outdoor gear company. And that's kind of how I learned Amazon, FBA. And I was telling you before, I went to like China like three times. I went to like Canton Fair. I went to factories in Taiwan just to sort of meet our manufacturers. And that really led me to learn e-commerce in general. And that was like a thing where you learn Google ads, Facebook ads. I just, so I did that. And then that led me to start, I was doing that for about a year and a half. And then basically what happened with that company was another guy that was working for me for Matesars wanted to sort of leave. And I was like, oh no, I don't want you to leave because he was really good because he had like a really good mind. He was really smart, a college dropout too, but just a really smart person. I was like, I want you to run the outdoor gear company. And then he then went and run it. And that was like after a year and a half. And now he has his own employees, has his own like assistant running it. Like he just comes to us for like ideas every week of like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Is the strategy we want to do? And I'm like, okay, great, go do it. For me, I was like, probably like, I'm fine letting things go because I want to move on to like the next thing where I was like, I think some people are like, oh, I want to hold on for it. I'm like, no, nah, like I'm going to think of ideas. I want somebody else to like run it like a pro and, and make it better. So that led me to then start Chester, which is our luggage company. And Chester was kind of like a combination of like all the stuff I learned from the outdoor gear company. A company's called Montem, by the way. Like Wirecutter and New York Times were like the number one trucking pole because our product is so good. So we got a lot of review sites, a great product. We beat like Black Diamond and Lucky, which is our two biggest competitors. We still can't get into REI because Black Diamond and Lucky have this sort of like 
don't know, deal with them. And we keep saying like, hey, look, we're better than them. They're like, no, you're not getting into it. I was like, oh, so frustrating. <laughs> uh, but even for that company, we did like a lot of marketing sales calls. We did uh, cold outreach, cold emails. We went to events too. So I went to like Denver to pitch at like outdoor gear events. We did a lot of cold email to local stores. It's a great tactic here that I did for this company was because like people were just like not responding to us. So we made a list of like all the outdoor places in every single state. So what we would do is like, I had other employees from my make made company. I'd like call the company and say like, hey, you want Monton Bowls? And they're going to say no. Like, oh man, that sucks. And then the next week, call again, another person. And then we would call saying, hey, we have, we're Monton Outdoor Gear. Do you guys want Dragon Pulse? Like, oh yeah, people have been calling about you guys. Oh yeah, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, because we're growing brand. And then like, they're like, so then we're like, that's how we got like POs. No. And then we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So POs like purchase order essentially. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Jay-Z used a similar tactic to promote his first album, going to album <laughs> stores and asking to buy it and they didn't have it. That's really cool. Yeah. For me, it's like, it's, I read like these tactics. I'm like, how do I, like any tactic that you read, it's like, how can you apply that to your business in a way that makes sense? Because it's just tactics and, and people sometimes like figuring out like, what is the right one for your business? I'm like, oh, there's so many. You just got to figure out how to apply it. Like this tactic works for any business, you know? So, uh, but that, that's what we did for that. And then I started Chester, which is my other e-commerce company, because at that time we saw luggage space was kind of booming. And then we learned from stuff We're like, oh, if we sell like a bigger product, it's less easy to copy because it requires more capital and also it's like it's more expensive to ship. And then by this time we were already, we were working with better factories. We knew more contacts. So that led us to finding better suppliers because our supplier for the outdoor gear company helped us find another one for the luggage one. That one was really good because we'd be like, oh, make this thing for us. They're like, no, like we need schematics and we need CAD drawings. And remember my, my brother, he was actually an architect in college. So he's like, oh, I'll do that for you guys. And then he <laughs> did it. So then like, you got to use the resources. I was like, so he did all the drawings. We worked with like, the YKK factory. If you look at Chester Travels, everything on the luggage is custom. Custom zippers, custom lining, custom storage. Everything on there is like, we made it the shells, our own sort of mold as well. And so the handles, the way we make it's completely custom, which is nice. Uh, costs more money, of course. But that's sort of how we were able to do that. And for Chester, I think last year before like Corona, essentially, we were doing like $2 million a year. That was through Amazon and through our website. And that's just because of all the stuff that we've kind of learned before. And I mean, like, I mean, I didn't know I was going to need to use that. But like, when you think about it, it's like, oh, this is, this makes sense now. So. Interesting. Um, and by the way, folks, if you're listening to this recording, uh, we are doing this live. And um, if the audience, if you have any questions, feel free to drop that into the chat. I'm curious, Kevin, you know, at this point, how many companies are you? Well, I know that you're not running all of them, but how many companies do you have your hands in right now? And what's your what are you spending most of your time on? So right now, most of my time goes into Voy Media. So that company right now, we have about 23 employees. And our plan is to grow that to Q2 of 2021 to 50. So right now, we're actually hiring like a director or like the agency to come in and essentially be like, come in and help us run it. Because like that's sort of where the point is right now. So that's sort of where 90% of my time is. That's because I do a lot of the sales calls. Uh, and that sort of goes back to kind of like you were saying before, like why Voy Media or so like why an agency? And really it came from just all this previous experience that I've had. And then I had to learn actual proper sales. So I took a lot of sales training. Like anything I do, uh, eventually, like I always go to courses or coaches. I think it's probably one of the best things that people can do is do coaches or courses when you don't like really know kind of do things. Because I was like, oh, like my friend was like, listen to my calls because I record all the calls on Zoom. He's like, oh, like he's like, you're selling because you're knowledgeable. But like you can be much better if you like say the right tactics. So then that led me to start like actually go to like a speech coach in New York City. Uh, I went to him twice a week and then I did another public speaking class 
every Friday night in New York City. For my speech coach, people are curious. He's a really great guy. Brian Loxley uh, was like, Kevin, you're saying the words like this. Like, you're obviously I'm still probably still now. He's like, you're saying your words too fast. He's like, you're not pronouncing this right. And it's like crazy. Like, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't even know any of that stuff. But like, he would make me record it and watch it. And we would, he would make me stand up and say things. But yeah, that's all. I took a tons and tons of courses. I had to get better at sales because like I said, my friend was like, you just know your stuff. But like, again, like um, they go to you because like, you're like a friendly person and you, you know what you're doing, you have the, the accolades that you can do that. But that's sort of like why I did it because of that sort of thing that I, that I saw other agencies didn't have. And I was like, oh, I can come in with that pure sort of experience. And that came from just me through life. When I was working at other companies, I would see some of the agencies that I worked with and I was like Googling them because like, I don't know, I just like Google things. I was like, oh, who's this guy? And I was like, Google them. I was like, oh, do they have a Twitter? I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was like, oh, this guy doesn't really have experience. So I was like, oh, interesting how they're hiring him. I was like, okay. So I was like, and then that sort of like came into my mind. I was like, oh, I can do that. Um, but that's sort of, uh, that's when I started it. And now, uh, like I said, we're just growing the agency. And of course, uh, that just like different funnels and, and tactics. And of course, we focus a lot of e-commerce, but digital products is like uh, the new thing that I'm kind of excited about now. Hmm, very cool. Well, first of all, friendliness can go a long way. People do buy from people they like. And there's all sorts of different types of personalities when it comes to salespeople, yeah. as well as leaders, of course. And being a domain expert can help you generate business, obviously. But of course, you can refine it. And it sounds like you just go deep in any topic that interests you. But the other thing that clearly is a main takeover for me from this episode is you're not afraid to try new things. And most people, when they come across something new, whether it's a new skill they're trying to pick up or a new idea that they want to test, there's a lot of trepidation. There's a lot of fear. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? For you, it sounds like that's missing. I don't know what, if, yeah. you know, it's like a gene that's missing, but you don't seem to care. You just kind of jump into the deep end of the pool, figure out if it works. You don't really mind if it's not refined. If need be, you will hire somebody that can sort of operationalize yeah. it and create structure. And, and then the, the thing is like that sort of like people always ask me like, oh, why aren't you afraid? And I always think back to sort of how I grew up because my parents came from El Salvador when they were like 17, not knowing any English. And they raised us and they bought a house in New York. And I was looking back at them and I'm just, whoa, like they came to the US not knowing anything, but they came here for a better opportunity of life and they gave it to us. And I remember once I was in California, I went and it was like nine o'clock or something at night there. And I called my mom crying because I was like upset. I was like walking like Market Street. I don't like it here. Like, I don't know anybody. Like, I'm just not good. And she was just like, pretty much in Spanish. Like, of, like Kevin, like, this is the dream you wanted. Like, I came to the United States. This was not my dream. Like, I came here because of just what I had to do to survive. And I was like, whoa, like, that really is like the difference. I'm doing this because like, this is what I want. Like, why am I not chasing it and giving the chance that I fail? I can always go back home. And for like, I think my parents, they couldn't go back home. They had to stay here and stick it out. And them showing us that stuff made me just be like, well, okay, like I could just do whatever I want. Like, and, and so that sort of like helped me sort of think about things because like, this is my dream. Like this is their dream. And I'm like, I want to do it for them too. So uh, my mom gets excited. So she likes it. Huh. That's awesome. Um, that that's awesome that you have that support network and your family understands you and your personality. And you know, you knew you could always go back, which I think is is so great. A lot of a lot of people don't have that. And yeah. if you don't have that, you know, seek that out. Find people that will support your crazy ideas. You were telling me earlier this morning that you have one roommate where you give you tell oh, him yeah. an idea, and he's like, "That's never going to work." And you just stop going to that guy for for ideas because you end up finding out that that somebody else built a successful business doing that. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, that, yeah. My roommate Adam, I love him, but like, yeah, I was like, I mean, Wilson, like Adam, we're never telling you ideas again. He's like, sorry guys, I'm just not a startup guy like you guys. You guys are risk takers. I was like, oh my god, Adam, like Jesus Christ, I could have had a million dollar idea, and uh, we just, we, I saw him like last year, and we just laugh about it. Yeah, I mean, you're a risk taker, but at the same time, they're calculated risks. You you essentially figure out how to run experiments quickly, and I think that's another takeaway for me here. If you if you know how to build product. Why not just build stuff and see if it works? But what you learned pretty quickly after trying it a bunch of times in your early 20s is that actually the marketing stuff is the hardest. So for most people, if you're not an engineer or if you're not good at building product, don't spend six months or a year building a product. Figure out the marketing side first and the demand side first and then build a product. If you can't spin up technologies as fast yeah. as, as Kevin and his team can, because it's, it's not everybody should follow a different strategy depending on their own skills, I think. We, we do have a, a question that came in and Janice asked a question, what process do you put in place to control uh, variation or to ensure some consistency? Because, you know, I think at kind of hearing your story, it seems like it's a little bit of a free-for-all, right? I mean, you probably yeah, yeah. have a lot of autonomy in your business and you let people kind of do their own thing. But especially when you're starting off, if you don't have that operational person, that structured person that's running the business yet, uh, what processes do you put in place to make sure that there's actually output and consistency on the team? I guess with any startup, when you're like maybe two or three people, you're kind of always working together. So when you sort of see what, I, I mean, back then it was like not remote as it is now, at least for back then, it was kind of like, everybody was kind of like aligned with the goal of like what you wanted to do. Like you knew, like, at least for May company it was like, Hey, we're trying to make this thing to something. We have to work as hard as we can in order to make it work. Like we're all not getting paid a lot of money. We're all just like trying to figure out how to get the next booking. We're all trying to figure out how to get the next cleaner, uh, how to get the, it's like, we're all in this goal together. So that really helped out and sort of like just being aligned and like the people you hired being like, this is like what I'm trying to do. Like come with me for this ride. It's more of like that aspirational thing that you need to give that employees the first few, because even now, like uh, the guys I hired over five years ago are still with me. Because they're still with like, they're still driving. Like, yeah, my first three employees are still with me uh, that I hired over five years ago. And it's more of like that sort of, they would see me working, they would see my Edwin working and they're like, oh, whoa, like I got to work too, which is like not the best way. But then after it's sort of like a process or like, for example, for Way Media, everything is like a checklist. We have Asana, we have a process for how to onboard, we have processes for how to interview people, we have process for everything. So that's how, that's eventually, that's kind of how you maintain quality. It's like, you actually have to read like operational books and read like OKRs about like John Doerr, like Measure What Matters is a good book. So yeah, I love that. And you you obviously also read a lot when you're curious about a topic, you dive deep, but then you don't, you don't only read, you actually figure out how do I apply this immediately. Most people read a ton of stuff and then they don't yeah. apply it and then they forget it. And it's very, you know, it's kind of useless when you consume knowledge only to forget it. So make sure that you read things at the right time when you need them so you can apply them immediately. And I guess my last question, because, you know, you did start this agency, you learned marketing by yourself, you learned SEO, you learned digital advertising and the like. And I'm curious if, if you were to start right now on a clean slate and you didn't know much about marketing, you didn't know much about sales, how would you start? What would you recommend people listening to the show or here live at the seminar do if they want to go deep and learn about marketing now in 2020? What I would say they would do is I think YouTube is a great sort of place to learn some sort of marketing stuff. But honestly, I always tell people like, think about what are the hardest industries for whatever thing you're trying to do. Like, for example, SEO is like, think about the hardest industries that are there to rank for SEO, because you know that if you want to get to the top 10, it requires true SEO expertise. So for example, for SEO, 
I would say, look at the industries where Google doesn't allow you to advertise. Because if it doesn't allow you to advertise, that means that you can only do SEO. For example, that's Viagra, sex, pills, porn. There's no ads for that. And that means the guys ranking top three actually need to know SEO versus the guys that are doing like the super white hat stuff, like candy, like anybody can, anybody can do that. And that's not exciting, but go to the industries where you know there's a lot of money and try to reverse engineer how those guys are doing it because that will teach you stuff. So anything, it's about thinking how that, what that is. Same thing with like, let's say you're doing e-commerce. If you're a VC funded startup and you can do Facebook ads, they're going to spend a ton of money. They don't really care about CAC, right? Go to the industries that are not VC funded and see how they're doing marketing because they need to make sure that they're making profit every dollar or else you're going to run out of cash. Hmm. So think about like what you want to do and sort of who's doing it the hard way and you want to go and do that. Uh, that's right. That's how I learned. I always go to the, that's how I just like try to, I tell people just reverse engineer. I guess that comes from just programming because that's what I was like, oh, I'm going to do a program. I'm going to see how I make it. So that's sort of like how I think about it in marketing too. You know, I love that. And we actually have several examples of people doing that on the show. You know, you mentioned how years ago you were trying to figure out business opportunity. You looked at Google keyword trends to see what are people searching for and where maybe are there lower bids for advertising that you could find an opportunity to actually create a product and sell it where there's not a lot of competition. You did the same thing with your luggage company where you saw that on Amazon, there wasn't a lot of people, maybe no one really selling luggage at the time. And you found out the reason was because it's actually expensive to produce and you had some capital from your previous business, you ended up launching that and finding a niche there. So finding opportunities by doing research ahead of time is a great way to figure out what businesses to start. But then, you know, what we talked about this current theme of just curiosity and learning about concepts by reading books, watching YouTube videos, etc., but then immediately applying them to the ideas that you have. And by the way, doesn't matter if you build a super successful business from it, you can use that experience to then leverage to get a great job somewhere. People love it when you work on your side projects and you learn on your own because then they'll know you'll be able to own processes for them when you join their companies. I love that. I love your story, Kevin. I really appreciate you sharing how you built your businesses and how you've thought about your career. I, I feel like you're just going to be starting companies for the rest of your life because it's almost like a hobby for you. I, I, I see you were smiling yeah. this entire episode. <laughs> I have a new company that's starting up, like that's going to launch soon. It's like a supplement space. There you go. Dude. Yeah. What's that going to be called? Uh, we've been working with like the FDA to get the label approved. So that's like yeah. another thing. I never talked, I never worked at the FDA. I'm like, oh, I'll just figure it out. Like, can't be that hard. Like, yeah. And then you find out, of course, usually things are a little bit harder than you thought in the beginning, but ignorance is bliss uh, yeah. when it comes to starting businesses. Uh, Kevin Ortia of Void Media, thank you so much for coming on The Mentors and sharing your story. It was really great to hear. Love your enthusiasm and energy, and hopefully you guys all enjoyed this conversation. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.